Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. I am delighted to be reacquainted with Anna. Anna Bernardes, you are so welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you, Suzanne. It's a pleasure to be here and to have this conversation with you today. So Anna and I met on the wonderful island of Butte off the coast of Scotland last June, I think. So in June 2022. (laughs) And we said then we would have a conversation but look how long it's taken (laughs) to have a conversation time just goes on yeah yeah and we're always busy Mm -hmm. we're always busy in inverted commas and we've just been talking about how we need to slow down to speed up and Anna I want to talk to you about the wisdom of our bodies and what that means for us. Yeah, maybe I can start to share a short story of how I got introduced myself to this topic, which was the first moment when I thought, does my body know more about me than my conscious mind does? And I was taking part in a program that was about discovering our superpowers. And we had through some exercises a full day, we had to come to get to know what our superpowers were. I was used to work in HR. And so to have this question, what is your talent? So your superpower in a way. And so I had my ready answers for that. And then suddenly my body went into a totally different shape. And I I knew what it meant. And I was like, why? (laughs) And, and, I I could not really take it. And so I went to the person who was hosting this workshop and I said, I know what I went into, but I don't think that's my superpower. And he told me that's probably because it is your superpower. And then it irritates you because you take it so high because it's such an important thing for you. And this stayed with me. And I went and asked all my friends and former colleagues and asked, do you think I have the superpower? And they said, yeah. Um, what's the question there? And so it was so obvious for everyone who knew me that this was something that 
they recognized in me that I was very confused how my body knew that, my body led me into that position, but this would never be something that I would talk about. Um, just out of curiosity, it was the superpower was creating spaces for others to grow. Before you go on, I'm, I'm captivated by the word shape, because you use the word shape, that your body went into this shape. So can you just talk about what you mean there? Like, were you standing up? Were you lying down? Were you sitting at a desk? You know what I mean? Yeah. So this was an exercise where we had to act. It was the first time I was also introduced to this kind of embodiment exercises. And we had to imagine that our bodies were just made out of rocks and that we could go into different shapes and at that point I was standing up but then I could explore also how my arms were moving and like making a sculpture out of myself. So what was the sculpture then? How did you sculpt the space for others to grow? This is a very personal thing and it's something that is also interesting when we work with embodiment is that many times from the outside we have no idea what this is triggering inside of us. So the body shape from the outside might have not looked anything like that. I remember I was standing up, I had my arms opening up as if I'm holding a big ball and there was this space but still like this motherhood feeling of I take over you but I give you space to grow so and this is a, an interesting point about working with sculptures and embodiment is that we go into certain shapes and then some ideas some images come to our thoughts so it works in an inverse way from what we usually do so we're our thoughts are interpreting what our body is doing it's giving it meaning. So first, the body speaks by expressing itself. And in my case, mostly, as you know, I work with the body, but it's also the same that works when people are painting or creating art in different ways and expressing without giving it meaning. So the meaning can be attributed later. And it's important that we do so that we can integrate it, that we can think about it. But first, we explore the expression in itself before we bring our stories in <laughs> and try to make sense out of that. Okay. So let's say people are listening now, right? Hopefully people are listening to this and they're thinking, how can I do this for myself as an exploration? So where would we start if I wanted to explore my superpower or a listener who's listening in wanted to explore their superpower or anything to start mm -hmm. thinking about how their body speaks to them or expresses what's going on, what's mm -hmm. a good way to start? We can do it in two ways. One of them is that we actually take some ideas of how to shape our bodies from the outside. And one easy way is if we just put our arms in front of us with our hands open and there is a moment if we stretch our hands forward and back. One point, it feels for me more like I'm receiving and one point feels like I'm giving. And so we just by going into a certain shape of our body, we are able to recognize that it triggers some emotional state or some mindset or some story in us 
And so exploring it from the outside, so there are some conventional ideas that we can see, does this actually feel like that for me? So if I raise my hands high, does it feel like I'm connecting to something there? Or does it feel like I'm desperate? Or what comes to me? Or And if I just put my arms to the, to the front, my hands to the front, does it change? <laughs> We're smiling and you can hear Anna laughing. She's watching me. We're both mirroring each other in, in our own respective ways. And it's so interesting because when you talked about the hands down low, Mm-hmm. or I was in front of you and when you said receiving and giving the words that were already coming to me was I felt a push and a pull mm-hmm. which is kind of the same thing I guess and then up up high it was like yes this is where I'm meant to be <laughs> it feels very natural even though it's not a natural position it's mm-hmm. interesting so I hope you were trying this along with us. And if not, well, if you're driving, please don't do it. But <laughs> listen again another time and, and play around with things. It's interesting. So you use the word embodiment, Anna. Mm-hmm. And can we go back and maybe just talk about what embodiment is? Because it's a word that I'm not sure a lot of people are familiar with. So it's, it's a word that has been widely used uh, in some, yeah, in some spaces at the moment and it's used in different ways. So the way how I speak about it might not be how other people will understand it. And for me, this concept of embodiment, it's very related of being an alignment. So an alignment between what I feel, what I think and what I do. And so these three levels Uh, achieving a certain congruence that I I am able also to perceive what is happening in one of them and to act accordingly. And and so when we talk about this embodiment in the way how I perceive it and how I work with it, it has a lot of less dissociation between our mind and our body. And this also means less dissociation from our emotions because that's actually one of the points that we learned through our lives to dissociate and to push them down. So the the body will be expressing and will have physiological changes and we ignore them or we don't actually feel them or we push them away because we thought that we should not feel them. And so we just separate Uh, from what is happening in our bodies and this then has consequences and mostly I'm going away from the question now I'm sorry but mostly what happens very often is that we do this for the emotions we don't want to feel that are seen as negative or not having space in a certain place but this means when we dissociate, we are also not able to feel the ones that we would like to. So to not feel sadness or anger, we also stop having the ability to feel joy and pleasure and openness and surprise. So we cut the wires, <laughs> or at least we squeeze them, <laughs> and it takes much, much longer for them to be perceived. Um, And so we stop being embodied in that way because our bodies and our minds are not communicating anymore. 
And then the consequences of that, if you spend, I don't know, 10, 20 years showing up like that or longer or shorter, what impact can that have for you and those around you? Yeah, it's not just an inner consequence for ourselves, right? So there is a lot of research also being done now related to trauma of how we are actually creating some diseases that are not seen as psychosomatic, but actually that have some relation with how we learn to be in the world. So Francisca Abermate is one of the persons that has been researching and working a lot with that. So not allowing ourselves to feel into those and to express them creates for us many times thought became widely talked about burnouts and so right now it's it's very hip <laughs> word but unfortunately and but it did raise the awareness about the fact that how we were living was not serving us anymore so it's in some unfortunate good way it's also good that it's becoming more mainstream that we actually talk about it and we talk about this that we don't have the ability to take everything if we don't charge our batteries as well. And so this idea of burning out and not having more resources is quite important. And of course, this also leads us to some defense mechanisms. And so many times we start feeling much more focused. We feel on ourselves and we feel that we have to protect ourselves. We start building walls around us so that we are not affected by the outside. And of course, this has consequences for the loved ones and the people that live with us every day, but also how we relate as a, a community and as a society. Because this, if we start more and more to be just focused on our own needs and our immediate needs and seeing the other ones just as threats, we will act as if they are threats. And so we go into these dynamics of conflict and that is not allowing us to grow as a society or to be compassionate or to have empathy for what others are going through. Absolutely. And you're also, I suppose, denying yourself the experience of living, say, more interesting and diverse variety type of life because you've shut off some mm -hmm. channels of really rich experiences perhaps that you could be having and maybe they're both difficult ones and happy ones but by by squeezing those wires that you talked about you're making your world smaller yeah definitely that's this feeling of imploding almost right so you are making this gesture as well our body loves to work with metaphors and gestures so we have some something that just we know how it feels if if we start bringing like this energy inside it doesn't feel like we can actually open up because there is <laughs> no more space for that we just need to protect it but i i also perceive it as a little time bomb <laughs> Yes, totally. So let's pause at the time bomb because I want to take you into the workplace where I think a lot of these time bombs could be possible. And, you know, as you were talking, I mean, we were talking about individuals, society, community, family, but actually 
this has massive implications in our workplaces. And you mentioned a background in HR. So have you been taking embodiment work into work? <laughs> yes. So for me, that was when I started working with this topic, that was one of my main interests because I had been working so much in HR consulting and in training with corporations, how to improve communication and emotional intelligence and leadership. And then when I started discovering this on my own process, I felt I cannot really provide trainings and team buildings if I don't address these topics. And many times we were talking about the burnouts and how companies had to start providing some solutions for that. And I heard from many people that they were given a webinar or a PowerPoint where they were explaining what emotions are, which is interesting and important, but does it actually have impact on the workplace? So if I know what an emotion is and if I know what anger is and I know how it can serve me and what I should be careful with, but I don't know how it shows up in my body, how is this then impacting my daily life? And so for me, what has been important since I started to focus in the body and the embodiment and the body wisdom was actually to bring it also to how we work together because there's <laughs> so much time we spend with people that are around us. And it's a lot of people around us, mostly with our family and friends. It's people that we choose to be there and but in the workplace many times we are actually dealing with people that we didn't choose and maybe they don't look so much like us maybe <laughs> they don't act like us they don't come from the same values and beliefs and so more conflicts are prone to arise and especially in the workplace I remember when I started working and there was this impact of what can I say in the workplace and what is adequate to be seen as professional. And so, of course, there is something important in being what it represents to be professional, but can I still be myself in that? Can I still show up? And for many people, being professional means also disregarding the fact that we are human beings. And so the less emotions we show, we are perceived or we used to be perceived as more professional because we were able to shut down all the emotions. We were able to just be efficient and disregard the fact that we are exhausted and that we have something happening in our private lives. Someone is sick, someone is going through some bad situation and all of this is seen as non-professional or I hope it's not seen anymore, uh, that we can actually also bring that and also say, today, this is in my mind, so I really cannot focus and to be able to also accept that as part of who I am on that day. I, I get what you're saying, and I agree, absolutely. So if I am in a workplace and I understand what anger is and all of that, how then the point you made about understanding the impact on one's body or where it is in one's body. How do I go from one to the other? How do workplaces, people in workplaces support 
a deeper understanding because I think when we talk about body, everybody puts it into a yoga class or (laughs) some sort of sport (laughs) or anything outside of the office. And many of us will value our head and what's going on intellectually in our mind as opposed to intellectually in our body. And we may not really ever think about our body in work. Mm-hmm. Where is a good place to start? <laughs> the best place is to start by gaining awareness of our bodies. And it might be in a yoga class, it might be in a meditation session it might be in any of these places that allow us to feel more our bodies and one of the things that happens when I start working with someone is that when I try to get the person to express their somatic awareness so what is alive in their body many people will say I don't feel anything or they will express that they feel pain or tension And these are the two sensations that we easily talk about, but we don't have the vocabulary. We are not body literate, let's say it like that. So we are not taught to perceive other sensations in our bodies. And of course, then we just feel them in extremes. And so pain and tension are there to call our attention, to say something to us. One of the sensations that everyone has experienced and that it's easy to relate with is butterflies in your stomach. So everyone can relate to that. So it it is this kind of excitement and anxiety all together. And so we have this sensation that we can relate to and we gave it a name and we associate it with something, but we don't have much more than that. So... The first thing is to actually learn and notice about that. That's also why many meditations start with doing body scans to actually go through the body, try to understand, do I feel this part of the body? I remember years ago, I we had this exercise in a training where we asked people to think of their toes and to feel their toes. And the first thing that happened was that we have the tendency to then move them so that we can feel them. And the question is, can you still feel them if you don't move them? Not just in your feet, but in other parts of your body. So being able to understand the subtlety of what it means to understand what is going on, what you can perceive. Do you feel some tingling? Do you feel warmth? Do you feel cold? So temperature is a good way to start. Or do you feel spaciousness? So many times people also talk when they have an open heart, they feel like the chest has space. But it might be also in other parts of our body. So having this first connection to actually feel. And so uh, going back to your question, many times what happens is that these little signs appear, they show up, but we don't perceive them because our minds are focused, because we have the next deadline, we have a new meeting, and so we just move on. And something happened that created that. Let's say we received an email that we were not expecting and that is asking something from us that we don't want. And in the next 20 minutes, we're going to have a meeting with a colleague. And we were triggered by that email. 
we didn't do anything about it. We didn't acknowledge that it had an impact on our emotional state. And then we're going to go with all this baggage to meet our colleague. And so it, our resources are much lower to deal with frustration and or other, depending on what the email was about. And so we will most likely then don't have enough resources to deal if something happens in that meeting that we are not happy about in some way that doesn't fit what we wanted or expected. And so these little taps in our boundaries, they happen very often in the workplace. And we learned to perceive them as things that have to be there. And so we don't also negotiate properly our boundaries. And we feel like many times we don't have the space to negotiate them. So what if happens... we're even aware of them, Anna, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we might get that email and just go on to the next meeting and then to the next one after that and not even notice that our state has changed. Exactly. And so we are still there on the path, on that email and our, our emotions are still there, but we move on to the next task. And so we are going to probably not have the nice conversation, not be able to deal with something, not be able to express ourselves in the best way. And so we then express our anger to something that had nothing to do with what started it. And so this distance without awareness of it doesn't mean that it's not there it just means that we lose track of what actually originated it yeah and then the person who's on the other end of it when you finally lose your temper or say something you really shouldn't say can't understand what they've done to provoke you because they didn't do anything exactly <laughs> or nothing that would justify that reaction so this is just something that I think we can all relate to because it happened to all of us yeah so and sometimes it's even something that comes from home and we we don't relate and as we were talking I was thinking also of another example that happens very often is when we have figures of authority in our workplace and and there is something about parenthood in that and <laughs> And so many times we relate at some point with our parents as we would relate to our supervisor, boss, whatever we want to call it. We relate to them as we would be relating to a parent, not in how we treat them, but there is something about our attitude of, um, I don't like to be told what to do, or I want to be informed in a certain way, or there's so much in these dynamics, or I cannot express myself and so many times we bring these patterns that just repeat themselves and we we pretend that the workplace is a faraway place from everything we've lived before, but we just repeat there the same patterns if they are triggered in the same way. We do unknown to ourselves as well, I think, because it's like anything until you know these exist, you don't know they exist. <laughs> and you know, passions and these dynamics and everything. I think it's only in the last, obviously people have been aware of it all along, but the awareness of it is really only taking more hold in workplaces now. And I suppose we treat 
individuals in the workplace as that's your problem you need to sort it out for yourself however we're all in it together and we're all bringing our own baggage from meeting to meeting and we're creating co-creating more of it by being in a workplace together I wanted to go back to the word somatic because we talked about embodiment before and somatic I know is a word most people I speak to have never heard before. So maybe you talk just a little bit about what somatic means as well. Mm -hmm. Many people had heard of the concept of psychosomatic illnesses, and which were recognized as illnesses from the body that were created by a psychological factor and uh, what is happening there is that we use this word soma that comes from greek and that means the body but not the body as our muscles our bones our tissues everything that is material but the living body so for instance everything that we perceive in our body then is what we call somatics and there was also now a grown interest in, in this also um, psychological. There are now therapeutic methods like somatic experiencing that are very focused on how do we perceive our bodies. And it's something that we can only feel <laughs> and sense. And it's not something that will be seen from the outside. As you're talking about feeling, I grew up, whatever, 70s, 80s, 90s in Ireland, went into the workplace, mid 90s. No one talked about feelings. And I think people are afraid to feel. And if we go back to the earlier conversation about how we can close off certain aspects of ourselves because we're afraid to feel. How do we become braver in pushing that boundary out and a beginning to feel because if you practiced and practiced not feeling how do you like reconcile it for yourself that this is okay it's safe mm -hmm. that's a journey for all of us and it's not one without setbacks so we go more into two steps forward, three steps back, and sometimes we actually make some forward. And for me, it was interesting some years ago when I was in an embodiment coaching education that some people that were there having the first contact with this kind of methods, the first thing that happened when they did something very simple, which was having a schedule, an alarm on their phone five times a day, and in that time, just take 30 seconds to feel how you are now without the excuse that now you're in a meeting or you don't have time for that, you will not stop. But 30 seconds, yeah, you just stop yourself and notice what's happening with me right now. What do I feel in my body? How do I perceive my body right now? And, and so you start building up this muscle of awareness and body awareness and for the people to whom this was new, they started feeling themselves throughout the day. So it was overwhelming for them the first weeks. And you mentioned before the word safety, right? And so 
this is one of the most important things is we stop feeling because we feel like it's not safe to feel it is a threat. So we need to start also reshaping and rewiring our perception of what is safe and what is not. And that's why many times to be able to do also some of these trainings and some of coaching, some of these solutions that started appearing the last years, allow us to actually experience that and to reshape that and to reframe some of these situations in a way that we give a different meaning to what was there before. And we do it in a trial session. So it's like we have to go to the dojo to practice so that then in real life we can have different answers popping up. For me, these are the two different places. One of them is we can do that by going every day and to test our new ways of behaving and to feel more and to try to be aware. But this can be overwhelming if we are doing it always in our life. So that's why many people also started doing trainings and going to some other practices that allow them to feel all of that in a protected setting where they know there's nothing in question. You can play as if in there and you it will not have a consequence directly in your life. Yeah, that sounds nice you know <laughs> kind of a, a nice warm feeling to playing as if so it's a way of introducing you or reintroducing you to your body mm-hmm. without having to face some of the things that may cause you discomfort I suppose mm-hmm. or may distress you yeah And before you were talking, for instance, of how the workspace was not inviting this and what happened also in the last years, and this was also something that raised my interest when I started working in these areas, was that the workspace in itself was changing and was inviting more of this. So all these new ways of working, so in holacracy, agile, all these structures that try to see organizations more as organisms and have fled hierarchies by creating this new way of working they also took away structures that give us some kind of orientation so we know the structure is there if someone has to make the decision it's that person we go to them we don't make decisions on our own and we don't like that but it gives us safety we know how (laughs) the process is And then with many of these flat hierarchies, many times what happened was that people were not ready to understand what that meant because they lost the orientation, but there was nothing else to replace it. And they have no space where they could learn how to talk in a different way, how to perceive themselves in a different way and how to be with other people in that way. So many of the challenges and many times it happened that some companies tried to implement some of these structures and then they were just, no, this is not for us. We go back to how it was before because we cannot use them. People are not happy. We are not creating a better space to work. And so they just take it as this doesn't work. But just because we have the right software and we have the right 
plan in a diagram of how things should work, this doesn't mean that people are ready to perceive this works place in a different way. And for instance, I, I joined some years ago, a company that had implemented their own version of holacracy. So it was based on the model, but there were some little things that were adjusted to how we worked, which was perfect. And, but one of the things that I noticed after being there for some time was that in the end, all the decisions were still made by the CEO, which is fine as long as we acknowledge that. And we say this, this level of decisions, you are responsible for them. And these ones, they go to the board, they go to whoever has the ownership of that decision. But when we don't acknowledge that, that just creates insecurity in us because we are told that we have the authority and the responsibility, but then we don't feel like it. And this comes both from us and from the people we are working with. So the, it creates then a general unclarity of where we stand. And we don't know how to address that. And we don't know how to recognize that. It creates instability and fear within us. And we don't know even where it comes from because we were given the role or we took it in some way. Yeah, I, that's a really interesting point, Anna. Something I was reading recently was if you're dealing with a difficult boss who's hard to report into, who's difficult for you to work with, that actually it's better if they're difficult all the time <laughs> than it is if one day they're nice and the next day they're not. And it, it kind of varies and you never know which version of the person you're getting. So you're constantly trying to predict what will happen. And that's very taxing on, on us mentally and physically, emotionally. So I can imagine that if the rules of the game in a new structure aren't made clear that the uncertainty will weigh heavily on each of us as an individual as we try to navigate what's the right way of doing things now. Yeah, and sometimes then you just take it as this is just how it is because someone set the rules, I just have to take it. And that's one of the difficult parts on the workplace is that many times we feel like we don't have the power to change the, the game rules. So we just try to adjust and we try to perceive what is it and to this stepping on eggshells, for instance, in this situation that you are mentioning, right? And that takes so much energy out of us because it creates all this uncertainty and fear, anxiety that we don't really have the energy then to focus on working properly or being creative or being able to communicate in a different way so that our resources are not endless and if we focus them on something like that like how to deal with your colleague or with your with your boss you don't have it for something else yeah. and and that's uh, also going back to why this work with the body also has an impact is really on this understanding what's behind it and when we started talking about the the sculpture and <laughs> all of how the, the body talks to us sometimes we really have no access to it because we have our the stories that 
of why where this also not only our stories but maybe we heard from our parents or our siblings that we are a complicated person and that it's hard to work with us and so we bring to the workplace and when something's not going wrong we have this you're a complicated person you're hard to work with and we don't even question it anymore if what is actually creating that because that's a reaction that I am bringing to the context that was brought to me and that I don't know how to deal with it right now so if I'm also able to find ways that my body can also express what is actually starting this behavior why am I the complicated one uh, that cannot deal with this situation but what is actually there for me what is the meaning that I'm attributing to this situation and that triggers that reaction in me then I can talk about it and I can bring it to, if there is openness, of course, in the team and in the structure, I can bring it there to understand, is this actually something that can be changed? Can we do something about it? Or is it just that I don't fit here? <laughs> but from a place that we are more informed. Absolutely, absolutely. I think what you're talking about there, and I know this is something that you talk about as well, so it fits very nicely, is a form of inner leadership. It's knowing yourself enough, I guess, to have more choice about how you lead your life from the inside. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I, I really like this idea of inner leadership of being able to lead our lives from this connection with ourselves this is the basis of it that all that we've been talking before is that i'm able to connect to myself to connect to what i'm feeling to connect to what triggers certain reactions in me to connect to my values to my beliefs so that then i can also relate to others and i can relate to the environment and to a larger collective and and understand how we are separate and how we communicate. So how am I permeable to others without losing touch with myself and without just feeling like I'm brought into this team. So now I just have to work exactly as they do. But after I do that of perceiving how does the team work, can I still find a way to then go back and say, okay, so this fits me, this doesn't fit me. I, I need this for myself. Can I find a space for it? Or not just with a new team, but with any change in the workspace. And when someone new comes in, then it just creates a new context, even if we've been working together for 15 years. Yeah. So it's this possibility then that from this place of safety with myself and of having this inner knowing <laughs> that I know what is there and I can relate to that, then I can also express from that place and not just be reactive to whatever is there. If we all felt like that in our workplaces or if there was a tipping point of people feeling that they are leading themselves from a place of knowing, as well as conforming to what's going on, but in a, like you say, a responding rather than a reactive way, I think our workplaces would be very, very different. I am a hopeful person. 
I'm lucky enough to, in my daily lives, to relate to many people who are trying to do that. And so there is a hope in me that something is changing. And of course, it needs also momentum and it needs enough uh, critical mass so that it can create a change in bigger organizations or in more mainstream <laughs> industries. But I think things are changing because also all these new structures, they are being widely used and they brought awareness for the need to interact in a different way. Totally. And a disruption to the way of doing things at least points a, a light on or a spotlight on the fact that the way we are doing things isn't fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. And there will be many iterations, I guess, as we try to figure this out. But I think the really important point that you're making in the discussion we've been having is you can't just start new ways of doing things without dealing with the person, the human side as well. That it's not okay to move from a hierarchy to whatever teal organization or holocracy, I can't even pronounce the word, without really thinking through the human implications the human consequences it's not about automation only or knocking down barriers it's about understanding what makes us uniquely us mm -hmm. our human side and I love that you brought the word purpose to the end of our conversation because in the end this is also for me what is part of it and in the Frederick Laloux that started reinventing organizations, he had these three skills of oldness and, and I'm missing one now, but one was evolutionary purpose and, and how this is needed for us to move into teal organizations. So this, the fact that we cannot really connect to our own purpose and to the purpose of the organizations that we're working on and the different types of communities that we are part of if we are not showing up as a whole. Thank you, Anna. We didn't even get to talk about half the things I think that we were going to talk about, like the fact that you have psychology and dance and brought them together. But we'll save that for another discussion, perhaps. But if somebody would like to know more about what you do, Anna, and what we've been talking about now, how can they connect with you? So they can find me at my website, movingwithanna.com, Anna with one N, <laughs> and, or connect with me on LinkedIn also with my name. And I'm happy to talk more about this and other topics. And it's just so easy to flow into different directions with these topics and to talk about them passionately. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll put all of your details in the show notes of the episode as well. So Anna, thank you so much for a really like interesting journey through reconnecting with our bodies at work and the work involved with it. Thank you. Thank you, Susan, for guiding this conversation. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If 
something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.